with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's the Thursday edition of After 9, and today we have a kind of a special feature. Uh, we're going to be playing the media conference that Marilyn Hall uh, did on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Mayor Hall started off with a statement, which we have for you first. Uh, good afternoon, and thank you very much for attending. Uh, it would have been my preference, as I said, obviously, if we could have gotten together face to face. But given the pandemic and given the COVID guidelines, that was virtually impossible. Uh, and we wanted to make sure, obviously, uh, that we follow those guidelines today. So I'm here today to speak about the Parquet Project and to answer your questions about what happened to get us where we are today. As we reflect on the information that's come to light in recent days and weeks, it's obvious that there were serious and unacceptable shortcomings in project structure and processes, oversight and information sharing on the Parquet Project. Bottom line, risk was not managed adequately. We certainly understand that the people of Prince George are extremely concerned and angry with what's happened. And you have every right to be. We know now mistakes have happened throughout this project. We understand people want someone to blame, and it would be easy to point fingers without having all of the information. And we're not going to do that. We are committed, however, to understanding all of the facts around what went wrong on this project and ensuring that accountability is based on facts and evidence. As the responsible body for the municipality, this council and I as mayor take the mistakes that happen very, very seriously. We are committed to full transparency and accountability and to take corrective measures to ensure these kinds of things cannot happen again. Mistakes were made throughout this project. We have to ensure policies are in place to prevent the mistakes that took place. And I want you to know we are doing a thorough examination of how this situation happened and we are determined to find the answers for you, the citizens of Prince George. I want to turn now to some of the things that we're taking action on. Over the past while, we've initiated a thorough review of the Parquet Project to understand what happened, how it happened, and what our options are. If necessary, that will include putting in place new structures and policies to prevent the same thing from happening again. It's extremely important to understand that we need to follow due process to get you the answers you deserve. That may take time, so we're asking for your patience. We've already taken a number of actions and we'll be pursuing a number of other measures to provide safeguards against future similar mistakes. Let me just outline some of the measures we've already taken or will be taking. Council has reduced the city manager's delegated authority to amend project budgets to 5% of the project budget up to a maximum of $100,000 per project. Council will review budget amendments that have been approved under that authority once every three months. Administration will soon recommend to Council that we approve engaging external project management for the advisement on the new YMCA daycare construction project starting this spring. We will consider engaging external project management services for other impending significant capital projects. Administration will recommend the Council approve conducting an external review of the City's capital project management processes and develop a new project management framework 
to provide consistency in how projects are delivered. In addition to these measures, we're also taking the following actions. We passed a resolution directing the acting city manager to pursue options for an internal or external auditor to review future capital projects. We're seeking a legal review of the Parkade project to fully understand where it went wrong and why and to provide recommendations for processes to minimize the risk of something like this happening again. We're seeking a legal review of our current delegated authority, including the revised sustainable finance guidelines to ensure we have it right and minimize the risk to the city. We're also developing a whistleblower policy that ensures all city employees and elected officials have a clear, confidential roadmap to bring their concerns forward. We are committed to sharing the results of all of these actions with the residents of Prince George in a clear and timely fashion. Before I close, I want to assure you that the City Council and City Administration are committed to working together to fixing the mistakes that have taken place and to rebuilding the trust you've placed in us. Together, we're committed to making Prince George a better, stronger, and more vibrant city. We will move forward together and certainly work together during this process. Thank you very much, everyone, for being here today, as I pointed out earlier, and uh, I'm available now for questions. And that was the starting statement from Mayor Lynn Hall during the media conference Tuesday afternoon. Director of External Relations at the City of Prince George, Rob Van Adricum, uh, looked after the directing of traffic for the Q&A. Among those participating, Cheryl Jan from CKPG News, Arthur Williams from the Prince George Citizen, Andrew Kurjata, or Kurjata rather, from CBC News, and Bill Phillips from the Prince George Daily News. I have a hand up from Cheryl Jan. Hi, Cheryl. Hello. Um, you had referred to a number of different um, processes that you're going to undertake here, some five or six, possibly even ten different things, uh, external reviews, legal reviews, uh, updating the whistleblower policy. When do we? When are we anticipating all of this is going to unfold? Well, we're moving fairly quickly on this, Cheryl, and we hope to have the bulk of this work done, I would hope, within the next 30 or 45 days, uh, keeping in mind that tonight uh, we're going into budget process as well. So we've got a pretty full calendar, but the intent was not to drag our heels on, on those items that I put to you today. Uh, Arthur? Hi, yes. Um, I guess I was hoping to get a sense if you could run me through what happened that afternoon on July 4th, 2018, um, you know, A&T provided, I mean, a detailed spreadsheet with, uh, you know, a, a cost breakdown that showed a, a price of 19.9 million. I, I guess I just, <laughs> you know, the, how did, how did this not get communicated to, you know, to anyone? I guess is the question. It, it, you know, um, it, you know, the, the estimate they provided, they were within, basically within 10%. Yeah. And certainly on September, the September 2019 update was spot on within, I think, you know, a few thousand dollars, really. So, you know, the developer, the developer provided a fairly accurate estimate. What, what, what happened? Well, I think that's part of what we're looking into, uh, Arthur. So what I received, and you, you comment on the 2018 email, uh, that particular copy of that email I didn't receive. Uh, I did receive the one that indicated that there there was uh, the potential for overruns and I would be kept in the loop. 
uh, and you have that. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's some of the work or all of the work really that we're trying to go through and determine where in fact those shortfalls landed and, and uh, why information wasn't passed along. I mean, the other obvious question is um, there are certainly some people who who did know that, about that email, um, you know, and, and the the spreadsheet. Uh, in, you know, some of those people are no longer at the city, but some of those people are very much still in their positions at the city. Are questions going to be asked to to those folks who did know on you know July, say by around three thirty on July fourth, twenty eighteen, that this was going to be right. considerably more money than than they thought? Like, I, mean, I guess the question is to them is who made the decision not to tell council because somebody clearly did. As I mentioned, through those eight or ten items that we are reviewing, that's part of the process that we're, we've initiated and part of the process that I wanted to let you and the media know today that we're about to proceed on. Uh, so um, without rattling through the papers here, Arthur, and going to a couple of them, uh, um, it, it's about getting information about the Parkade project and how it proceeded through their process uh, so that we have an understanding of that. Uh, and, and I would go back and just um, say that that's, you know, that's, that's the crux of this. How do we move forward with this and how do we identify things that occurred? And I think that was uh, really uh, the essence of my comment early on uh, when I wanted to talk about the items that we put in place. I think that captured it. Thank you, Mayor Hall. Thank you, Arthur. I'll turn next to Andrew. So, Mayor Hall, just going back to this... Um some of these processes, you say you're going to be engaging external project management for upcoming uh, projects such as the Y daycare. Does that mean essentially that you've lost complete faith or you and council have lost faith internal budget estimates and the people in charge of projects? No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, You know, Andrew, what we are attempting to do is conduct, as you say, our due diligence. Um, but many municipalities, and if you look around the province, some of the best practices are is that they will uh, employ specific capital project managers. They may be um, private firms. There's a number of them that provide uh, project management on, on smaller projects, on larger projects. Um, KPMG, for example, Price Waterhouse, there's a number of them. Uh, and then we've taken it one step further, and we would like administration to take a look at uh, internal uh, auditing system or uh, simply rely on the external auditing system. So that's why we put those recommendations in place, and that's part of the package that we wanted to deliver today. I'm just curious for yourself, um, if you had been presented with the cost of the parkade as it's laid out now, and you can decide whether that's $22 million or the full $34 million that includes the utility movement and everything like that, would you have gone to voters, would you have said, yes, let's go ahead with this, knowing what the full cost was going to be? Well, I think I would have needed a tremendous amount of information if the cost escalation was that high. Uh, the project originally started at $12 million, and uh, I would have needed a tremendous amount of information, as I said, uh, Andrew, and then there would have been steps that I certainly would have taken, absolutely. How are you feeling about it now? Do you feel like it's a worthwhile investment still? Well, let me talk a little bit, if I could, about the positive uh, nature of things that have been happening here in Prince George. And I know perhaps it might be a little difficult to hear at this point, but I just want to touch on some things that are occurring. 
Uh, you can all recall, because I've said it to you many, many times, that uh, for me, development was key in moving our city, and moving our city in a number of ways, whether it be through employment, peer development of our community, having investors and developers in the private sector recognize what an opportunity there is here in Prince George. So let's take a look at the downtown. Uh, student housing, uh, private sector development. Uh, Hyatt Hotel, private sector development. Uh, the Marriott uh, finally got going, and we see what it has done today for, for the city. A new pool and fire hall that we went to referendum on. And, of course, there was always conversation, never a conversation about downtown did it not exclude the need uh, for residential living downtown. So this was just a huge package of, of work, and, and some of it has come to fruition, and we're, well, most of it, and we're very proud of that. Uh, so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Andrew, as you know, it was part of the redevelopment of the downtown, but more importantly, I think, uh, really uh, centered around uh, economic development for the entire city. And I guess that gives you a little bit of background uh, as to where and we were four or five years ago and, and uh, where we are today. Thank you, Andrew. I'll now ask Cheryl to uh, ask her question. Okay, so we're going to have external reviews. We're going to have external management companies for major projects, et cetera, et cetera. This parkade project is all well, well over budget. Are we simply adding to the bill? I mean, bringing somebody from the outside is probably a necessary thing, but it's going to cost. Do we know what the cost is going to be? No, and that's the work that administration will do for us. Uh, and when you talked about a timeline, Cheryl, that will be an important piece of uh, the information we get back within the next month, month and a half. And the, the idea of a whistleblower policy, either enhancing or creating a whistleblower policy, does that suggest to you that perhaps administration had known all the time and didn't have the wherewithal to report it uh, with this project? You know, first and foremost to me, Cheryl, it suggests that we need to refine our whistleblower policy. Uh, any good corporate organization like the city, uh, that, that's an important piece, and that's why we're doing the work, uh, is to make sure that that policy is tight and it's in line with best practices that we're taking a look at throughout the province. That, that's really the initial move on it. Okay, next I'll ask Bill Phillips, please, to ask a question, and then Arthur, you'll follow. Good afternoon, Lynn. Thanks for doing this. Um, just one question about the review and that and an audit. Could this end up possibly, they might be jumping the gun a little bit, but could there be disciplinary action uh, coming out of this for staff or, uh, yeah, or I think legal action? When you guys were at the meeting the other day, you stopped the meeting because you were getting legal advice. So is that yeah. a possibility? appreciate your comment, and I think it's, it's um, uh, I think a little premature to even comment on that. That's the first part of the Q&A after the media conference from Tuesday with Mayor Lynn Hall, Director of External Relations Rob Van Adricum, conducting the Q&A uh, with participants from various news organizations in Prince George, including Cheryl Jan from CKPG News, Prince George Citizens Arthur Williams from CBC News, Andrew Curiata, and Bill Phillips of Prince George Daily News will have part two of that uh, interview uh, or Q&A, I guess you'd say, uh, in a moment here on After 9. Hi, this is The Wolfman. CFIS-FM features two weekly shows dedicated to local musicians, Homegrown, Saturday night at 8, and Homegrown Light, Wednesday afternoon at 1. Both shows feature music and interviews from local artists performing and recording in our area. 
Homegrown features a mix of heavier sounds, and Homegrown Light focuses on the softer sounds. Check them out. Homegrown, Saturday night at 8, and Homegrown Light, Wednesday afternoon at 1. Only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The Grizzly Bear Foundation has launched a brand new podcast series. Grizzcast is hosted by Grizzly Bear Foundation Executive Director Nicholas Scapolati and features conversations with naturalists, guides, explorers, and more, uncovering their most intimate grizzly bear stories and delving into what conservation means to them. A new episode of the Grizzcast will be released on the first Monday of each month. The Grizzly Bear Foundation's Grizzcast, available through the Grizzcast link at grizzlybearfoundation.com. In a year where community organizations are facing uncertainty, the needs are greater than ever to alter programming and amend budgets to accommodate community needs. The Northern Interior Community Association provides support, guidance, and assistance in the community gaming grant application process. The next round of grants are open to all art and cultural not-for-profits, charities, and community groups from February 1st to April 30th. For assistance, contact the Northern Interior Community Association by email to coordinator at northernica.org. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today, clearing this afternoon. Wind at 15K, a high of minus 11 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 16. A few clouds tonight, fog patches developing overnight. Wind continuing, a low of minus 16 with a wind chill to minus 20. For Friday, a mix of sun and cloud, more winds, a high of minus 7 with a wind chill to minus 10. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And now part two of the Q&A from the media conference on Tuesday afternoon, a Zoom conference with Mayor Lynn Hall. And as mentioned, uh, participants uh, from different news organizations around Prince George, including Bill Phillips from the Prince George Daily News, CBC News uh, correspondent Andrew Kiriata, also Arthur Williams from the Prince George Citizen, and Cheryl Jan from CKPG News, Rob Van Adricum from the City of Prince George, the Director of External Relations, conducting the Q&A. Okay, Arthur, uh, you're up. Um, I guess I was hoping to ask, what lessons can council learn from this process, uh, you know, sort of in hindsight, looking back at what happened? I know one of your colleagues, Frank Everett, said, you know, in hindsight, he wished he'd ask more questions. What can council learn from this? And there's a lot of talk about what the administration is going to do, you know, as city councillors, as the mayor. What would you know? What would you do differently if you could go back and, and do it over again? Sure, and I think I'll start with Councillor Everett's comment, uh, which is most appropriate. And uh, you know, there's you can never ask enough questions, Arthur. Uh, we're a large organization. It's a massive organization that does massive work every single day. Uh, let me just touch on a couple of things. I think some of the things that council can do, and we've talked about it already, is reducing the city manager's delegated authority. That's a huge piece. The delegated authority, if you take a look, and I know you have, and the amendment that we made from the delegated authority that was in place uh, to what it is now, 5% of project budget up to a maximum of $100,000 per project. That's substantial move that council made. Uh, council's decision to review budget amendments that have been approved under the authority once every three months. So that means if we have uh, our public sector projects taking place, uh, we know they're going to come to us. And the information that's going to come to us will be timeline and financial position of a project at a particular point in time. And if you look at projects that we do, there's phases that 
those projects will go through. So it's important for us now with the implementation of that uh, to look at each one of the phases if we choose to, to get an idea of where we are timeline budget-wise and any potential budget overruns. And, you know, there's there's things as well that has, have occurred that administration are going to provide as well, and we talked about the external internal uh, audit procedure. And I think part of the resolution or the full resolution that we supported was directing the acting city manager to pursue other options, whether it be internal or external. So that's a big piece as well. And I think for us to be on solid ground and really not the outlier when it comes to delegated authority in this province, we're going to, and we've asked administration to take a legal review on whether or not we meet the test for delegated authority here in Prince George now after our change. And I think we do. I think we're in the ballpark provincially now. So those are just some of the things that council has taken on, and I know there will be more as we move through this. In terms of the reporting and so on, are you confident that going forward that council will, will get the information that it's looking for when they ask? Because I went back and I listened to March 11th, 2019 meeting, and I, when you guys approved the uh, extra $4.5 million for the relocation of the sewer uh, mains and so on, and, and then... Councillor Skaken asked about cost overruns, and at least three people sitting in that room knew that that project was going to be considerably over the budget presented, and nobody said anything. No, I'm confident that we're going to get it. I think these measures that are in place and more to come uh, really will set the tone for uh, administration to come back to council with this information. You know, I, I touched on that one that I think is really key in my comment around capital projects that have specific phases to them and, and, and our request being to provide a timeline of financial information on those from phase to phase is key. Okay, thank you, Arthur. I'm going to ask now Cheryl, please ask your question. So I was in attendance for that January 11th meeting and, and councillors around the horn basically used words like deceived. Um, you know, you could tell that they had been personally slighted by what had transpired um, over the course of more than one year. Well, how about you? How did, when you, you when you first started to realize that this thing was totally off the rails and you were left in the dark, uh, was that kind of a personal thing for you? You know, Cheryl, you interviewed me after that meeting and you asked your first question to me was, how do you feel? And I, I said surprised uh, and uh, yeah, you take a look at the information that we received or, or didn't, and uh, I, I think for me that word kind of summed it up that night. Bill, over to you. Um, Lynn, you talked a little bit about, or a lot about delegated authority, and just so I can get my head around when everything happened. When all this started and the first overruns came early 2018 or whatever, was that the delegated authority at that point was still the $1 million per Correct. project? Yeah. So, so the delegated authority was changed somewhere sort of in 10 while all this was going on the delegated authority is that how it worked yeah it changed the delegated authority and i would have to look back uh bill i believe uh it was uh, july of uh, 2019 when you changed it. With, within two or three months of that want to get the timelines right there what uh, yeah and I, I i would be more comfortable if i could give you the exact month uh and day and and so if you're looking for that, we can get that to you. That would be super, because I guess the, the part of the question is whether the delegated authority use was over the million dollars. I guess that's what you're looking at, right, is, is whether the delegated authority was properly used throughout this? 
that that's part of the process. You know, I've talked a lot about delegated authority, and and I guess you would take from that that it's an important piece. Uh, council has one employee, and that's the CAO, and we delegate authority to the CAO's position uh, in, in this particular area for project development and project payments. So that's why we're really focusing in on making sure that our delegated authority now is in line, uh, and I hate to keep beating this comment, but in line with best practices throughout the province. And the way the delegated authority sits now, it allows us to... Uh, uh, I think it gives us more flexibility as a council to see this information come through to us. Thank you, Bill. I'll now I'll turn over to Andrew. Hi there. So it's been alluded to several times, but there are people still working for the city in high-level positions who would have cost overruns, did not volunteer that information when asked directly, and several councillors have said they feel betrayed by, and you say that too. How do you move forward with trust as long as those people remain in those positions, not just for mayor and council, but for the citizens who pay their wages and who also feel duped by this? What I've said throughout this, uh, Andrew, today and, and before today is that we've got this process in place that we're working through. Uh, I said earlier in my opening remarks that we, uh, we wanted people uh, to be patient. Uh, we're working through a timeline. Uh, and that timeline will, uh, as I pointed out in, in, in my statement today, will review a number of things. So uh, that's uh, where we're at uh, with with uh, the overall review of, of this project. And then further to that, uh, have you or has anybody within this review spoken to former city manager Kathleen Soltis since uh, two weeks ago? Uh, I, I don't. I, I don't know. I can't comment on that. Uh, for others, yourself, no. Thank you, Andrew. Arthur, over to you. Uh, one thing I was hoping to find out, and I, this may require sort of a follow up afterwards. But is there anything in current city policy, or you know, at the time in July 2018, that would require city administration to inform city council if? Uh, if a project, you know, they mean they've received very detailed information. I mean, I've seen the spreadsheet, like down to sixteen hundred bucks for sump pumps. I mean, they had they had in no uncertain terms uh, the information. But um, is there anything in city policy that requires city staff to inform city council yeah. when they receive information like that? I mean, could there could a spreadsheet like that be sitting on someone's desk at for the pool right now, and you don't know about it? because there's nothing that requires them to tell you. <laughs> would you mind the follow-up then, Arthur? And we would yeah, get the inf- yeah, We would get the information, Arthur, then out to everybody. Much appreciated. Yeah, you're very welcome. Cheryl, over to you. There was reference on January 11th meeting when uh, Mr. Wells was in the hot seat over this, uh, and uh, when he was asked about who knew, the senior team knew, and tried to rearrange projects to cover the extra costs. Do we know if any capital projects have fallen off the table because they've had to make up for this deficit? Uh, not sure, Cheryl. Uh, as you know, budget is tonight, and we'll be dealing with uh, capital, uh, but um, not sure. Thanks very much, everyone. Greatly appreciate your time. 
And that was the Q&A from Tuesday afternoon's media conference conducted via Zoom from the city of Prince George with Mayor Lynn Hall, uh, taking questions from Cheryl Jan of CKPG News, Arthur Williams from the Prince George Citizen, CBC News correspondents, uh, Andrew Curiata and Prince George Daily News, uh, his, the very own Bill Phillips, who we'll hear from no doubt tomorrow during After Nine. And the uh, panel portion, they'll likely discuss some of the comments made during today's news conference. We'll have more on today's edition of After Nine in a moment. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council is accepting applications for the winter edition of its Equipment Grant Program. All First Nations, Métis Chartered Communities and Friendship Centres are eligible to apply. Equipment must be used to promote a healthy, active lifestyle for Indigenous communities by reducing barriers and increasing access to sport, recreation and physical activity programs. Full details are available online at ispark.ca. Ispark's Equipment Grant Program, the winter edition. Application deadline is... 5 p.m. Friday, February 5th. Community Arts Council memberships are now due. In order to facilitate online renewals and payments, their website, studio2880.com, has been upgraded. You can now pay online by credit card or e-transfer. You will find the membership renewal page under the Gallery and Shop link at studio2880.com. If you wish to renew in person or by check, drop by the gift shop Tuesday through Thursday between 11 and 5, or you can send it by mail. Full details on membership options are available at studio2880.com. Vantage Point is presenting a Youth Network Q&A panel today. The topic will be youth leadership in not-for-profits, what leadership looks like, with a panel of top BC not-for-profit executive directors. For full details and registration, visit thevantagepoint.ca. Geared to youth ages 18 to 35, youth leadership in not-for-profits, what leadership looks like, a Youth Network Q&A panel from Vantage Point, today from 4 to 5.30 via Zoom. Looking to make a lasting contribution to your community and to Canada? The Census of Population is coming, and almost 32,000 census jobs are now available across Canada. Don't miss this opportunity to be part of a national project. Statistics Canada census jobs are interesting, safe, and rewarding. Apply now or tell a friend. Visit census.gc.ca slash jobs. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And we're going to round out today's show with a little discussion, myself and Stephen, about uh, things that are going on. And and first off, Stephen, you're pretty much a man on the street. What are your thoughts about the the fiasco at City Hall and uh, and, uh, the process to rectify the situation? Uh, My thoughts? Well... I go Put back. Spotlight I, here. I go back to the the day, uh, the Kinsley days. Right, right. Um, we had an opportunity to uh, put in a businessman, right, that ran against Kinsley, and we we decided not to. Okay. So ever since then, the the which, trend uh, city which businessman is that Don Zorowski? No, that was uh, Tom Stedman. Oh, Tom Stedman, right? I yeah. remember that. And. Uh, I think he would have done well in that position because hmm. he's he is a businessman. So uh, you think the f- the failing on the part of council is there were uh, there's no businessmen on council that would have seen this coming? Is that sort of what well, you're thinking? Well, we gave Kinsley three terms, yeah, and then we followed up with Dan Rogers, yeah, and then we followed up with Sherry Green, right? Well, she was a business person, a business person, but. 
not for that type of position, I don't think. No. <laughs> and and now we're now we're at here. Here we right. are now. And it just seems that um, more and more uh, we're falling shorter again. Right. I mean, like this council, we've had a few people that have been in there a long time. Um, too much money. There's just too much money that we're, I don't know, we're just throwing away. Well, do you think the steps they've made uh, taken so far, uh, changing the city manager, putting in someone that's uh, slashing and burning, and well, my position on the city manager is, um, we all all the departments have managers and mm-hmm. supervisors and stuff like this. I mean, if these people are, are in the manager position, should they not know their job? Do they need? another manager above them to oversee the whole thing. Well, I, I think that is uh, a position that is needed because if you don't have uh, someone overseeing the entire thing, then council has to deal with, uh, you know, uh, five, six, seven, eight different managers and try and sort out each individual problem as opposed to having one person that can report on problems as they come up. It, it's... I, I th- yeah, a lot of times we look at uh, top positions and we think, you know, w- what does that person even do? And believe me, from a guy that runs a community radio station, I have more than enough to do uh, just contr- uh, just overlooking what's going on what's in going the station on. Bits, without actually seven, having yeah. to sit here in a, in a host seat mm-hmm. to talk about things that are going on elsewhere. Absolutely. Right? So... Uh, from that aspect of it, I, I'd say, yeah, you definitely need a city manager. And I think, uh, I, I personally think it was a good move uh, uh, putting in, uh, is it uh, Walter Babbage that's in there right now uh, looking after things? Is anyway, he local? Uh, well, we, he was, we t- we he was already bring- he was already part of City Hall. We- so he so, sort of knew from the inside of where the waste was. Because we tend to bring somebody in from... Well, we have in the past, but uh, the last few have been internal um, uh, appointments, I guess you'd say. Uh, And in this case, he stepped in and cut a bunch of things, uh, positions and uh, dollars from the budget, that it was pretty obvious that he knew what needed to be done already, and he just stepped in and, and, and did it. And I still now, believe City Hall can still use an overhaul. There probably is uh, a little bit of a uh, bit more fat there. Uh, the problem right now is the, because of the cost overrun, that puts us behind the eight ball as far as being able to uh, pay that and continue forward, even with reduced uh, services without having an increase in taxes. And they've already talked about, uh, I think it's a 2% that they're looking at uh, now. And and it's sort of like, well, you know, when when do we get down to a 0% tax mm. increase? Because it's year after year, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And after a while, that just a little bit more adds up to a well, whole lot. Well, I think lot. people get a little tired of having to keep paying for other people's mistakes. Well, that and that's the uh, issue here is the fact and I mean, that the, mistake- the last time, I mean, how many projects have they approved that are sitting on the shelf? Yeah. And as they sit, so does the cost. Well, the rises. cost goes up. Uh, yeah, the, the the issue here, I think, the kind of the basic um, 
fundamental or the basic knowledge about projects is doesn't matter what the bid is, it's going to come in more than likely over budget. The problem here was that it came in more than, well, it was almost triple the original budget. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's a lot more than just your normal cost overrun. <laughs> and, and that's where, uh, you know, everyone that I talk to is not very happy about it. And, and you know, Neil Godbu even calling for the mayor's resignation, uh, you know, wants some heads Well, I don't even think it's the right time the to be building a pool. Well, that's true. And that's uh, one of the things that I, I brought up with uh, someone I was talking to the other day. I, I said, well, perhaps the time to build these things isn't when the economy's booming and you can't get construction people because the cost goes up right there. And that was part of the cost overrun was being able to get the the labor they needed. Mm-hmm. They had to pay a little extra to to get uh, the parkade done. So maybe it was it would have been a better idea to hold off until uh, some of the commercial projects were done and say, okay, things have have uh, leveled off construction wise. Now let's do this or that or this. You know the different public projects that were on the on the uh, uh, schedule, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's it's hard to know uh, when you're on the outside looking in, but uh, it it's it's uh, yeah, it's hard to look at that tax bill go up year after year after year, oh, year after year. Let's uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, to, to we'll move it over to some entertainment news because uh, believe it or not, cold snap. Well, starts we can we tomorrow. can use entertainment. Yes. Join the Method Dance Society for free online workshops on contemporary movement and dance. Hosted by Method Dance Society, a half dozen guest instructors will help you develop your dance skills. Workshops will run Saturday afternoons at 3.30 from February 13th to May 8th. Register for one or all the sessions at methoddance.ca. Free online workshops in contemporary movement and dance from Method Dance Society. Saturday afternoons from 3.30 starting February 13th. This year's Teen Art Showcase is open for viewing February 16th to March 6th at your public library. Check out art by teen artists from Prince George and the Regional District and join the Community Arts Council for a virtual celebration and awards reception at 1 on Saturday, March 6th. Teen artists can drop off their submissions at the Bob Harkins branch of the library Friday, February 12th between 10 and 5.30 or Saturday, February 13th between 10 and 3.30. The National Campus and Community Radio Association is looking for a software developer to work remotely on their AGM meeting program, creating updates and additions for the product. The successful candidate will be in charge of designing and developing additional services for the platform, including self-generating accounts, payment system, and functionality updates. Application information and full details for the position are available through the Careers Job Board link under services at ncra.ca. Application deadline is Saturday. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today, clearing this afternoon. Wind at 15K, a high of minus 11 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 16. A few clouds tonight, fog patches developing overnight. Wind continuing, a low of minus 16 with a wind chill to minus 20. For Friday, a mix of sun and cloud, more winds, a high of minus 7 with a wind chill to minus 10. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. A Thursday morning edition, and we're, uh, well, we talked a little bit of politics. Let's move on to something a little more fun, and that is Cold Snap Music Festival gets underway tomorrow. 
tomorrow day one and uh, the cool part of this uh, there's two things one you can take in all the concerts live from your home well they're not live in your home but just tune in on your uh, computer or your television uh, if your television is hooked up in such a way that you can do that um and there's uh, no cover charge it's all free yeah well, they like to use the phrase "no cover charge." No cover charge instead of saying "free," as opposed to "free." I, I guess it's just uh, the proper way to spin it. <laughs> anyway, so the uh, everything gets underway tomorrow, and the evening concerts are all at seven thirty. So that gives you time to get dinner done, out of the way, sit down, relax, and enjoy. Uh, tomorrow night they're calling it uh, "Warm Winter Welcome" with Maureen Washington, uh, Kelsey, and Bella Rain. Abraham, or sorry, Kelsey and Bella Rain Abraham. Mm-hmm. And I believe those are Aboriginal dancers, if I'm well, not mistaken. She's the dancer, yeah. She's the dancer, yeah. okay. All right. And of course, Maureen Washington, long time, well, uh, living in Victoria now, yeah. but uh, grew up in Prince George and well known uh, jazz vocalist. So uh, worth checking out tomorrow evening, 730. Uh, on Saturday, it's Blue Moon Marquee and Saltwater Hank. They're calling it hot music on a cold night. And the weather actually changed around, turned around so that it, it, it is actually colder out there. I, a week or so ago, I was starting to wonder, is it, will it really well, it be cold Well, it is going to start warming up. A, a little bit, but it's it's more what we expect this time of year as oh, opposed yeah. to a couple of weeks ago when we were... Oh, when you think Monday is at, February. Uh, oh, I know. Yeah, it's coming up fast. So uh, Blue, Moon Mar- Blue Moon Marquee, I believe, are from Manitoba. And uh, Saltwater Hank, of course, local, and that'll be good. Uh, the one I'm looking forward to, um, well, is uh, coming up on Sunday and Monday. Uh, Rochelle Van Zanten. Yes, we talked to her the other day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, we've had a few interviews already with uh, artists. Um, Danny Bell, Maureen Washington, Marcel mm-hmm. Gagnon were all on Monday on, our, on this show. Uh, then on Tuesday... Uh, we talked with uh, Marin Patinode, mm-hmm. who is part of a group that will be performing. And uh, yesterday it was Rochelle Van Zanten and Alex Cuba. He was funny. Uh, and Alex is, uh, uh, the cool thing about Alex, he lives in Smithers, but he is an internationally renowned artist. Mm-hmm. We're talking Grammy winner and Juno winner. So, you know, this guy, even though he's from or lives in northern B.C., yeah, everybody knows who he is, and and he has uh, no shortage of people willing to work with him. Uh, Big names, too. Anyway, Rochelle Van Zanten on Sunday at 1 is going to be doing a cold snap for kids. So this will be a a kids concert. She, uh, not that long ago, had uh, a baby, so she's a, a fairly new mom. Uh, in fact, it was, uh, uh, she had the child. This was back, um, uh, when we were hosting the winter games. Mm-hmm. And she performed the one night and was supposed to be in the, there was the, uh, uh, main stage and then there was the Aboriginal stage. 
and she was supposed to perform on that other stage the next night, but she was in the hospital giving birth, so she couldn't make it. Couldn't make it. <laughs> couldn't make it to that one. Uh, so anyway, she has done some, uh, um, a few songs uh, geared for, for children, and uh, she'll do Cold Snap for Kids on at 1 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, following that, that evening will be Ferris and Jason Romero and Marin Patinode. Uh, and they, uh, their show is called Sensational Singers. Well worth checking out. Yeah, she and, liked that yeah. when we called her that. Yeah. And then Monday's a busy day for Rochelle Van Zanten because she will be doing a workshop. There are a couple of workshops people can take in. Uh, the Monday, uh, next Monday, uh, she's doing a workshop called Intro to Slide Guitar. So if you're into slide guitar at all, I know a few people that really enjoy good slide guitar, like, uh, uh, was it Greg Almond or Dwayne Almond? Dwayne Almond. Dwayne Almond was the class slide guitarist. Uh, Rochelle Van Zanten. Yeah, she's looking forward to, uh, for that workshop. Yeah. She really hopes she gets the turnout. Yeah, it should be good. And then, uh, that evening, 7.30, uh, Rochelle will be uh, doing her performance as well as uh, a guy by the name of Elijah Quinn, who uh, is fairly local as well. Rochelle is from Francois Lake, and Elijah, I think, is over that way as well, is where he's from. Anyway, uh, and it's going to be rockin' and rollin'. And if, if, if you've seen Rochelle Van Zanten at all, you know that's that's going to be the case. That's going to be it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the one I've got uh, big stars around that uh, I want to make sure I tune in for. Uh, Tuesdays, the, the Tuesday we'll have another workshop. Uh, this time, oh, the workshop on Monday will be at noon, as will the Tuesday workshop with uh, Sarah Jane Scouten and Saltwater Hank. Their workshop will be about traditional music of BC songwriting. Hmm. And uh, Saltwater Hank, a good person to have for that, because if you've heard any of his stuff, stuff very traditional sounding, and that'll be noon on a Tuesday, and that evening, uh, this this will be a good one as well. Not just another Groundhog Day is the name of the performance. Uh, Marcel Gagnon will be on, and Barney Bentall. Yeah, and I was surprised when I heard that name popped up and. I thought we'll. That'll be cool. That would be a good one. Love Barney Bentall. Uh, The rest of the week, we'll just wrap it up quickly here on Wednesday. They're calling it Wild Winter Wednesday. It'll be Danny Bell and his disappointments with Larissa Scriven. Uh, Thursday, they're calling that Celebrating Our North. That will have Kim Gucci, local artist, and Mark Perry. Mark Perry from Smithers. Uh, On the Friday the 5th, uh, fiery fiddling Friday. So any, anyone that's uh, into fiddle music will want to tune in for that one. It'll be uh, Pierre Schreier and Adam Dobrez plus the Ebbs. The Ebbs, a local group with our friend Willie Kuklas, part of that, uh, ensemble. Uh, that's Friday, February the 5th. And then everything will wrap up a week from Saturday on February the 6th for brighter days ahead. And that's uh, going to have Alex Cuba in there, along with Naomi Shore. So that's a pretty good uh, one-two combination there. So that's the Cold Snap Music Festival. You can find all the details on their website. Uh, Cold Snap, is it coldsnapfestival.com, I think? Or on Facebook. Just Google them and, and you'll, you'll yeah. come up with all the details. And uh, I don't doubt we'll have more 
of the Cold Stamp uh, artists on uh, after nine in the coming week ahead as uh, some of them didn't get booked this week. So uh, I'm sure Alan will be booking some of them next week. And Book them next week. We'll find out some more. Uh, quick break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about uh, the passing of a legend from Hollywood here on After Nine. The BC Schizophrenia Society is in the process of trying to secure funding so services will remain uninterrupted, working closely with various ministries to achieve this objective, but they need your help. Write a letter of support or contact your local MLA to let them know how important funding for continued services to you and your family. For more information on the letter writing campaign, check out the message from BCSS CEO in the What's Current section at bcss.org. The BC Schizophrenia Society now has their Kids in Control program available online. The groups are open to children ages 8 to 12 living anywhere in BC who have a family member with mental illness. The program teaches children about mental illness, identifying feelings, and how to take care of themselves. The topics are serious, but the groups are always a lot of fun. Registration information and more details are available at bbss.org. The BC Schizophrenia Society's Kids in Control, now available online through bbss.org. If you know a budding artist ready to share their work, get ready for the Children's Art Showcase. Take a picture of the masterpiece and send it to children at pgpl.ca to have it displayed on the library's social media channels. All participants will be entered to win an artist prize pack. Open to ages 5 to 12, submissions will be accepted through the month of February. The Children's Art Showcase from your public library. Full details are available through the events link at pgpl.ca. If you're a manager looking for promotion or would like to take on managerial responsibilities in your current role, the Vantage Point has the workshop for you. Essentials for New Managers covers the steps needed to build management skills, creating the understanding of where management ends and leadership begins and where overlap exists. The workshop will be conducted via Zoom over three consecutive Thursday evenings starting February 11th. Registration and full details are available through the vantagepoint.ca. Essentials for New Managers, February 11th, 18th, and 25th via Zoom. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And what we'll uh, finish off the show with is uh, talk a little bit about Hollywood and the passing of, uh, uh, I I would say, a quiet legend in the world of... That's uh, a good one. Yeah, good definition. Cloris Leachman, yesterday... Uh, yesterday, or was it the day before? Passing away at age 95. 94? 94, 94 it's it. Oh, okay. Uh, and most people will remember her as uh, Phyllis from the old Mary Tyler Moore show. Uh, but she was around for a long, long time. Yeah, she would have been 95 uh, on April 30th. So there you are. Just over, uh, almost 95. Um, she She actually started... In 1940, let's see, her IMDb page, 1947 was her first uh, spot in a movie called Carnegie Hall. She played a dancing nightclub patron, <laughs> so, you know, uncredited. There you go. Uh, the next year, she was in the Ford Theater Hour uh, playing Dora the Maid in one of their uh, shows. And then NBC presents. She she went uh, mainly on uh, uh, was mostly in television in the uh, uh, late forties through the fifties. Uh, a lot of people don't realize though that she actually won an Academy Award mm-hmm. 
and that was for a role back in the early 70s. She was in a movie called, was it The Last Picture Show? Yeah, there we are. The Last Picture Show uh, played a, a person by the name of Ruth Popper. Best Supporting Actress. Best Supporting Actress that year, yeah. Uh, so she definitely had her acting chops. Uh, most people remember her from Mary Tyler Moore, where uh, that was TV sitcom. And the funny thing about that and, and what I remember from uh, her portrayal of her character on that show is I, I didn't find her that funny. Uh, but part of it is because she played it straight up. She was serious about playing this uh, less than likable character. Well, she but was that the, added to the, the humor. Kind of the spinster from next door. Well, yeah, the spinster from next door that, that thought she was, you know, buddy-buddy with Mary, and <laughs> Mary just sort of put up with her, and that was the, the comedy part, but she did such a great job of playing it serious, which mm-hmm. you have to do, which, yeah. you know, when you're doing a, a comedic role like that. Um, yes, and and uh, the one that I remember her from, uh, and again, she had to play it quite serious in order to make it funny was from uh, Young Frankenstein, where she played Frau Blücher. And uh, <laughs> that's that's one I'm going to have to uh, fire up and watch again very soon here. Now, interesting thing about uh, her career and uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show is um, that, that was an amazing show when you look back at, at the... Is that where she got her Emmy or... I'm sure she probably got a number of Emmys. Uh, did she only win one Emmy? Or? Well, they only said one Emmy and one Okay, Oscar, well, I would so. sure, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it, it, no, no, no. It says here, uh, Outstanding Guest Actress in a Comedy Series, uh, Malcolm in the Middle. She played the uh, grandmother. That's in right. Malcolm in the Mid- Middle. There you go. But she uh, uh, was also nominated, actually, a number of times uh, for Malcolm in the Middle, and uh, uh, the spin-off series, she played Phyllis on Mary Tyler Moore. That spun off to her own series called Phyllis. And she was, uh, no, she actually won Outstanding Single Performance by a Supporting Actress in a Comedy or dram- Drama Series for uh, Mary Tyler Moore uh, back in 1975. Uh, she also won that same year. Uh, outstanding continuing or single performance by a supporting actress in a variety or music series uh, for her work on Cher's uh, variety show. Wow. And, uh, yeah, she actually won three times for her role on Mary Tyler Moore, or twice for her role on Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, one other Emmy for outstanding single performance by an actress in a leading role for a uh, TV movie called A Brand New, Lo- Brand New Life. So definitely uh, well lauded for her performances, uh, mostly on television, but indeed uh, she certainly had plenty of roles. Well, one of the few remaining state ladies, you know. Well, and, and the funny thing about that is not that long ago, uh, a uh, co-star or one of the many cast members of Mary Tyler Moore recently turned 99 and that's betty white i i didn't realize betty white was actually older than cloris leachman because mm-hmm. uh cloris leachman was fairly old when she was in that tv series and this was the great thing about both of them they they played uh quite a bit younger 
you didn't realize how old they actually were, although there were a lot of inside jokes in the, in the oh, script yeah. and everything. But uh, there are still other cast members of that great show that are still alive. Um, uh, Gavin McLeod, I believe, is still alive. Mm-hmm. And Edward Asner. Ed Asner is uh, still up and kicking. Is he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gavin McLeod, born in 1931. Mm-hmm. So that'll make him... 91, 92. He'll be 90 this year. And then uh, Ed Asner... Uh, let's check his uh, bio here. Born in 29, so he'll be turning, uh, he'll be, if he survives to November <laughs> the 15th, he will be uh, turning 92. So, yeah, wow. it's uh, quite amazing that uh, there's still quite a few of the, the, from that cast uh, still out there. And Cloris Leach, or uh, Betty White, as we mentioned, uh, just recently turned 99. Uh, Cloris Leachman, though, 94. 94. Would have, would have turned uh, 95 in a in a couple of months. Great actress, and I'm going to fire up uh, Young Frankenstein in the not-too-distant future. There you future. go. Sit down and... I actually, and I can actually picture her face right now from that oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. I can actually see, well, with the hair and the whole thing going yeah. on, right? And that's that's the key to great uh, great comedy performances is, is you have to play it straight. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it, it, it just it comes off work. as corny. Yeah. So that'll do it for today's edition of After Nine. Of course, tomorrow we will have Front Burner from CBC News, followed by the Friday panel. So I hope you can tune in tomorrow. After Nine is a daily presentation of CFIS FM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFIS-FM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.